welcome to another episode of The Debriefed. My name is Levi Port, and today we have two interviews with Annabelle Zhang about this year's primaries. Okay, so I'm here with Annabelle Zhang, uh, asking her about her student government senate, uh, discusses emergency alert systems, activism, and free speech workshops article um, taking place on January 21st. Um, Annabelle, could you just give us a quick overview of this article, um, your thoughts on it, what you kind of thought the main takeaways were? Yeah, so I'd break this article down into two sections. First, I'd talk about... um, the announcement that there would be active intruder training for students on campus on February 15th at 9 a.m. Um, I think that addresses a super important student concern, especially in light of recent um, tragedies um, on other college campuses relating to gun violence and intruder incidents. Um, so I think that's a major point of concern that student government is addressing, addressing along with the administration. Um, I'd also talk about the fact that um, there's been conversation within the student government itself about further commentating on whether or not they should, oh, sorry, not further comment, um, on releasing further activities on whether or not they should organize discussion workshops um, relating to student activism on campus and inviting in activist groups from around the Upper Valley to speak about what it means to disrupt, what it means to be an activist, and how that can be done in accordance with college policy. Yeah, absolutely. And just to touch on two points, I want to come back to the um, intruder training. But first, with the activism thing, that is kind of spurred on by what we saw in the fall, correct, with with the activist outside of uh, the administrative hall and all, all of those issues. Yeah, so correct. it's directly tied to the fact that um, Rowan Wade and Kevin Engel have recently had their court appearance date uh, um, published and it'll be in February so yeah absolutely um so could we talk a little bit more about the uh, intruder training is that something that student government is arranging for students who want to opt in is that something that's going to happen for the whole campus how can people get more information on that yeah so it's going to be a training routine for all of campus Um, They're also going to be organizing various different resources that students can use in order to access information about, like, how they can opt into systems that will be, um, like, announcing any active intruder incidents that occur or any emergency. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a sense right now, is this kind of a new protocol that the school's implementing, or is this just something that they already have, but they want to make students more aware of and and more comfortable using. So I got the impression that all of these resources are currently available on campus. Um, What DSG is trying to do here is consolidate all of them so that they're more easily accessible for students. Perfect. Yeah, it makes sense. Because, I mean, even me, I'm not entirely sure about, you know, all of these resources. Um, Now, I know you mentioned in the article another big uh, topic, at least, um, at the meeting was the kind of the new rentals that we've seen on the green um, with the ice rink, uh, cross-country skiing rentals. What can you tell us about that? Uh, where can students get those uh, if they're interested in listening and, and want to go check those out? Yeah, so students today can get ski, uh, skate rentals for the green 
from Robinson Hall. It's right next to the College Student Center. Um, and so they'll be able to rent Monday through Friday. Um, I think before 5 p.m., from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So it's a fairly limited window. What DSG is working on right now is expanding that window, whether it means making skates available on the weekends or making like the time of day that they're available, like extending that period. Um, ski rentals right now are no longer available through Robinson Hall, as I discussed in the meeting. Um, the DOC, or the Outdoor Programming Office, rather, has um, shifted it to a separate skate sorry separate ski area yeah um that's dedicated to cross-country skiing it's close to campus but it's not on campus okay and are those skis uh is that all still the same benefits for students as when they were able to get them at robinson hall or is that something now that is there a cost additionally to that or yeah i believe all students can access them for free as long as they show their id card of course um yeah, absolutely, and it would be great to get uh, get some uh, rentals going on the weekends because that, I, I know a lot of students would rather be skating on a, on a Saturday than, you know, at like noon on a, uh, <laughs> on a Wednesday. Um, now, I want to go back uh, slightly to what we've seen in the past, uh, what, what, the discussion about activism and um, Rowan v. Wade and is it is it Kevin Kevin Angle Kevin Angle? Um, can you how 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 is student how is DSG? Um, I don't know if you just knew it from the meeting or if you've talked to anyone. How are they handling this situation? Are they monitoring the ongoing kind of legal issues here? Um, should we expect more communication from them in the future regarding the situation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I haven't spoken to anyone outside of the meeting recently, but I got the impression that DSG is interested in either releasing a public statement or the president and vice president, Jessica Chiroboga and Kara Ortiz, will do so in some capacity under their own name rather than under the name of DSG. Um, these workshops, I think, are going to be their primary like method of making statements. I think their goal is to continue being a nonpartisan organization. And for them, that means promoting campus dialogue without promoting a partisan direction. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes uh, a ton of sense. Um, now, this is obviously more of kind of like a technical question, but when they're going, to, if they were going to release a statement from the entire uh, student government, is that something that they would vote on and approve at one of these meetings? Or is that something that would kind of just be sent out without much without much talk about about you know approving it yeah um from what i've seen all dsg communications are voted on during the meeting and so there'll be a draft presented senators will discuss things that they think should be changed things that they think are like important to highlight within the email itself and then they'll vote on the communication and send it out absolutely okay perfect um that makes a ton of sense um, I think that is the majority of the questions that I had, or all the questions that I had um, regarding the article. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, no, I just think that DSG has been really interesting to cover. I think it's really important to stay informed on campus and college issues. Yeah, absolutely. And and to that end, can you just tell us when can students go? Can students go watch these meetings? Can how can students get involved if they're interested in and not in an elected position? 
Yeah, um, I believe these meetings are open to all undergraduate students. They're held in Collis 101, which is a very large meeting room. So yeah. obviously with the capacity to for students to attend. Um, they're held on Sunday evenings, usually at 7. But I know today's is moved to 645 as a result of agenda. So I was at Hanover High School as people were voting. I spoke to a number of voters about why they chose the candidates they did. Um, and I think what really drew me to this idea of covering the primary was the fact that one, New Hampshire is a major, major primary state. It's the first for the Republican Party and it's a disputed first for the Democratic Party. Um, second, I'm also super interested in seeing how Nikki Haley as a candidate was going to shape up against Trump. A lot of people were talking about how New Hampshire was Haley's state, both because she has a very large base of supporters here, but also because a lot of Democratic voters who didn't want to write in Biden were choosing to vote for Haley instead because they wanted to minimize the chances of Trump becoming the Republican candidate. So they were choosing a more palatable Republican candidate for themselves. Um, so I was super interested in seeing how that dynamic played out. And then I'd say the third big reason was just that this is my first election cycle. This is the first time that I'm able to vote. And so I wanted to see how people in my grade were going to, or people in my class were going to cast their ballots and how people in grades or like classes above us who have voted before were going to do so as well. Mm-hmm. What did you think the general sentiment was among student voters? Would you say there's a large turnout student voters? Were there strategic voters? Were they informed? Or would you say they just went because their parents told them to go? Yeah, I think it was actually a very interesting split. Um, I spoke to a lot of voters who were very politically active and who are very passionate about the candidates who they voted for. Um, so I saw people like campaigning outside, carrying signs. They were there for like hours. So obviously people who are very passionate about politics and about their candidate. At the same time, I also interviewed several voters who literally said that they voted for a candidate either like because their parents said to or because they just wanted to see what would happen. Um, I think I specifically met Haley voters who thought that. Uh, and I think it's super interesting because at this point, both Biden and Trump have had presidential experience. And I think among the people who voted without specific ideological goals. They did so because of a general discontentment with the political system. Mm -hmm. And would you say that sentiment's present on campus generally, or would you say it's kind of peaked because of the primaries, the upcoming election? Ooh, I don't know if I know enough about campus politics in general to make a big statement about it, but I think that and there are definitely people who are very, very politically passionate and very politically active. I know like tons of people like in the DPU, in Dartmouth Democrats, et cetera, Dartmouth Republicans, et cetera. Um, at the same time, I also think that Dartmouth compared to a lot, a lot of other Ivies is just a less political school mm-hmm. in terms of the fact that like, or at least from my impressions, mm-hmm. students aren't necessarily as politically active, mm-hmm. especially like, on more activist circles. Yeah, why would you say that is? Have you, do you have any observations about why you think that might be? Um, I think part of Dartmouth's culture is very, like, 
is that it's very isolated from like major cities, right? We're like two and a half hours from Boston. We're like five hours from New York. And so I think that almost gives a sense of being removed from the issues Mm -hmm. in those like that are obviously much more covered in those larger cities. Um, And so there's this like Dartmouth bubble effect. I Mm -hmm. like sort of observing where it feels like campus itself exists as like a separate entity from a lot of what's going on around us. And would you say that's a positive for the campus or a negative? Because it can go both ways, I feel. Yeah, I'd agree that it goes both ways. I think on one hand, it's been negative in the sense that people are a lot more politically apathetic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so looking at like voter turnout numbers this year, it was much lower than in the 2020 primary. Um, and I think that's like, like regardless of how politically involved you are, I think it's important to be like civically engaged mm-hmm. to like have some form of information about the current political state. At the same time, I think that because campus is less politically divided, it allows us to have like a smaller and more cohesive college campus. Mm-hmm. I think that like the size of the Dartmouth and the proximity to the people around you mm-hmm. would make it almost like difficult to be a more divided or like a more partisan campus, if that makes sense. Uh, and do you feel like the Dartmouths and generally as a newspaper, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask this, but I'm going to ask it anyways, is good at being an unbiased reporter of political news? Or would you say that they lean one way or the other? Because I feel like Dartmouth's been pretty neutral generally, but... Yeah, I think there, from my experience on news, there's definitely been an effort to be as unbiased and politically removed as possible. But I think that in terms of the language that we use sometimes, as with like all media outlets, mm-hmm. it can reveal certain writer biases. I don't know if there's like a more institutional bias, but I think there's definitely individual writers who lean one way or another, and that can be evidenced through their writing. Mm-hmm. And is there anything else you want to add about the nature of the article, maybe potential articles that are coming up that you think are relevant to the subject matter, what you're looking forward to in regards to the political election and kind of how you see the climate evolve on campus, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there have been a few really interesting articles published since about one was about the Rockefeller Center and experts who were evaluating the results of the primary. I thought that was super interesting. They gave a lot of perspectives about like what the results mean for Haley in terms of like South Carolina being the next or like the February 24th Republican primary. Um, Wait, do you have any insights into that article? What was the general consensus on it? Like, what's the summary? I think it was that it would be difficult for them to for the Haley campaign to continue running Uh because she underperformed compared to expectations. Um, in New Hampshire, which was supposed to be a very like pivotal state for her, like her supporters were very big about trying to get New Hampshire to be the state where she first beat Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, they also pointed out in the article, I believe, that she's been trailing behind Trump significantly in South Carolina, mm. and so in a state where she was a former governor, like not having that sort of lead is obviously going to be a major detriment to her and her campaign.
My name is Levi Port, and this has been another episode of The Debriefed. Special thank you to Eliana Stanford and Jack Coleman for their wonderful interviews today. I would also like to thank Keith Monsma, Heyman Huzzah, Ellery Fudge, Quinn Hall, and Abby Hughes for their contributions to the team.